This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. There are 19.6 million Bitcoin out there right now, and the highest it will ever go is 21 million. Is this a bubble? And the way we are answering it is we think in the next five to ten years you will not recognize the world as we know it today in the next decade we're going to see as much progress as we've seen in the last century what we think is going to happen is not exponential growth but super exponential growth as we get the convergence between among technologies out there. This is not just a technology, it's a new asset class. And beyond that, a global monetary system. It's a big idea. Everybody, welcome to Moonshots. Peter here. I'm about to have a conversation with Kathy Wood, the head of ARC Investments, one of the most extraordinary moonshot investors on the planet. Both she and I recently had a conversation with Elon on our channels. Today, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence, the coming wave of artificial general intelligence, robo-taxis, flying cars, Bitcoin, humanoid robots, US-Chinese relations and AI, all the things that are going to make literally an explosion of exponential wealth and potential over not decades, over the next few years between now and 2030. All right. Let's jump in. Everyone, it's Peter. In a few weeks, I'm gathering an incredible group of AI leaders, including Ray Kurzweil, Eric Schmidt, Mustafa Suleiman, Imad Mustak, Michael Saylor, and others at my private Abundance Summit to discuss the impact of AI on our lives, our businesses, and the world. The Abundance Summit is a private community open to extraordinary moonshot entrepreneurs. It's Singularity University's highest level program, and it's not for everyone. If you're at the top of your game and you want to learn more about this program, click on the link below to be considered. Okay, let's go back to the episode. Enjoy. All right. Well, Kathy, uh, you know, one thing I love is that you and I have the same uh, sort of massive transformative purpose and, and moonshots. You know, seeing disruptive technologies as the mechanism that uplift humanity and create the most progress. And I'm kind of shocked that more people are not on this thesis, that more people are not seeing it and not moving towards it. Because uh, I'm convinced, you know, I'm 100% uh, convinced of what you have been saying. I've been saying the same thing, uh, but you've made the financial vehicles to enable people. Why do you think people aren't actually uh, seeing it in such a clear fashion? 
I think in in the traditional financial world, uh, which is where there are the trillions and trillions of dollars, the reason is because of the move to passive investing. Now, uh, this used not to be a thing. When I started in the business in the um, late 70s, early 80s, um, asset managers were all active, meant, which simply means they were trying to figure out how the future was going to work. And they would do so using macro analysis, so economics and so forth, as well as micro analysis, company by company. And then in 2000, with the tech and telecom bust, we had this um, shift towards benchmark style investing, accelerated shift, benchmarks being S&P 500, NASDAQ, MSCI World. And then even more so after 08, 09, the financial meltdown, we had an accelerated move towards passive investing. And why was this? It was a self-fulfilling prophecy as more and more active managers became benchmark sensitive. They were bidding up those stocks in the benchmarks, of course. Now, the other thing that happened to active managers, which was really terrible, is while they were doing that, they were charging fees. They were charging fees, and yet they were starting to look like these benchmarks that don't charge fees. And so they were already behind the benchmarks at the start of every year just because of their fees. And so we had the self-fulfilling prophecy. And now what we have is I think it's almost 75%, definitely north of 50% of all assets under management are in, in the passive uh, style, uh, which means they simply mimic uh, a benchmark. I believe this is the most massive misallocation of capital in history, uh, because there is no, I, I can't tell you how many conferences I've gone to in the ETF world, which is mostly passive, where it's starting to turn active, but how many ETF conferences I'll go and I'll see, there are no Bloomberg machines, no broadcasts, uh, CNBC or Bloomberg or Fox Business News, nothing. Guess what? They don't care what's in the index. All they care about is how closely the index tracks the uh, the S and P or the Nasdaq. So there's a loss of brain power in the industry, <laughs> and I think there is. There's a you know one of the things. Honestly, one of the things that I say <laughs> is here you have the best and the brightest coming out of the elite schools into our business, and I think I'm I'm going to I'm sure I'm going to be criticized for saying this, but. I think we lose their brains to this quant way of looking at the world, which slices and dices uh, indexes. Indexes are at the heart of every, all the quant analysis. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, but, I, I, yeah. I, I agree with you. And it's, um, it's such a large uh, institutional force that bucking the system is very uh, very difficult and risky. You've done it. Um, and thank you for that. Uh, and I think, again, like I said at the beginning, I think your thesis is going to prove out um, 
not by a little bit, but by orders of magnitude at the end of the day. And can I say, Peter, just sorry to interrupt you, but what happened to, uh, I think there were a lot of people in uh, 17, 18, 19, 20 who were looking at what we're doing and they were starting to copy us. um, And I was thrilled with that. Um, And then we hit 21 and 22 which was a bloody disaster. Interest fear rates. Goes, fear causes retrenchment to the norm. Well, and you know, <laughs> a 24-fold increase in interest rates. Never happened in history. Crucified all long-duration assets, even bonds, long-term bonds, which were where safety was supposed to be. Uh, they had their worst year in 250 years, since the 1700s. So, uh, you know, that we, we couldn't win. Now I think we're on the other side of that. Now people are trying to figure out why aren't long-term interest rates continuing to go up if the Fed says inflation is still an issue? And they're not going up because the real issue is deflation. Yeah, and technology is a deflationary force Absolutely. In, a, in a very good way. It's an efficiency, yes. an efficiency magnifying force. Productivity um, ma- boom. Yeah. Yeah, yep. I agreed. The other thing that's going on, Kathy, that I keep on seeing, and I had this conversation with Ray Kurzweil, who's a dear friend. He's my co-founder of Singularity. He's sort of the the high priest of exponential thinking, if you would, right? Uh, and Ray and I were talking about this. He'll be with me um, at the Abundance Summit uh, uh, in a couple of weeks. And we're talking about how absolutely challenging it is for people to think in exponential fashion. That despite all of the evidence they keep seeing over and over and over again, they still extrapolate in a linear fashion. And they do. And it's 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 crazy. I mean anyway, I want to get into this conversation before, here. Before yeah. can we before we go yeah. further there, it's such an important point. Uh in the financial world, uh exponential, that concept, the last time investors heard it was during the tech and telecom bubble. And for them, that ended badly. Now they just don't believe it. They don't believe it's possible to sustain growth rates at 15, 20, 25% plus per year. But what we think is going to happen is not exponential growth, but super exponential growth as we get the convergence between among technologies out there. So this is a, a, the other side. These are overlapping waves of exponentials that cause tsunamis, right? Yes. And and I like to say, how do you know? You need to surf no, on top I, I, of the tsunami instead of being crushed by it. Absolutely. And, um, you know the analogy I use, um, which uh, I, I welcome you. I, I love this analogy. Is uh, the ten kilometer asteroid that hit the planet sixty five million years ago. Right, so this ten-kilometer asteroid hits the planet. It changes the environment so rapidly that the slow, lumbering dinosaurs are unable to adapt. But it's the furry mammals that are agile that are able to rapidly adapt to the environment and then become the dominant players. And the massive asteroid hitting planet Earth today are these converging exponential technologies, and they're going to change everything faster, faster than people can possibly imagine. Yes, uh, we think in the next five to 10 years, uh, you will not recognize the world as we know it today. 
And 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 we we just put on something called Big Ideas Summit here in St. Petersburg, Florida. To as that's the, right. You the, mo- you moved to you moved to St. Petersburg. Yes, yes, and yeah. uh, uh, really innovative, optimistic spirit down here. I must say, and um, just trying to communicate to people, not just investors, but parents, grandparents. This is how you steer students into this way of thinking and have them catch these waves because they're going to be enormous and make sure they stay away from the disrupted uh, or the disintermediated or the soon to be destroyed. You know, I'm going to share this with you uh, a little bit off the subject, but related. I just gave a talk to my kid's school. Uh, to all of the teachers. They're in sixth grade right now in middle school. And I asked two questions at the beginning. Um, It was a a talk on exponential technologies and where our world is going, because I don't think our schools are preparing our kids anywhere close to for what's coming. And I asked the question, how many of you, and this is the teachers in the room, 150 of them, how many of you think that the world was better off 40 or 50 years ago? Two thirds of the room raised their hand. Wow. Wow. And then I asked a second question, how many of you think that the lives of our children will be better in the future? Two out of the 150 raised their hand. And I was like, wow. uh-oh, wrong school. Um, <laughs> what, what, uh, let me ask you, what age group? Uh, the, the, these were middle school and high school uh, teachers. Such an important time. A hundred percent. And at the end of the day, Uh, We have to realize that those of you who are parents listening to this, think about who is preparing your kids for the future. Because honestly, the future, if they're in middle school or high school, their future is going to be not a little bit different. It's going to be dramatically different. What Ray and I talk about is in the next decade, we're going to see as much progress as we've seen in the last century. So think of what it was like in 1924 to today, right? That's their future. Yeah, we're when we're trying to help people understand the same thing. Again, not just investors, but anybody. Um, we often say the last time we had multiple innovation platforms evolving at the same time was in the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s, and and absolutely right. That's what you know got everyone off the farms and uh, into the new world, right? Uh, this is the same, but it's on steroids compared to that. <laughs> I, I think it's a, a starship compared to a bottle rocket. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's so much to talk about and so much extraordinary things. I mean, the, the grandfather of all of the, you know, well, first of all, the underlying, uh, uh, you know, bedrock of this is computation. It is the massive explosion of, of processing power, cloud, GPUs. But, you know, that layer on top of that is AI, which is what all I'm talking about right now and, and everything that you're principally talking about right now. My, these- my thesis for the Abundance Summit in a few weeks is uh, the great AI debate. And uh, we'll have Eric Schmidt and uh, uh, Mustafa Suleiman and Ray Kurzweil and Jeffrey Hinton and a whole bunch of amazing people there. And it's going to be a conversation to help people uh, flesh out the idea of, am I a boomer or a doomer? Is this the most important technology? Should we go as fast as we can, slow it down? And of course, it is the most important technology and we don't fully understand it and we can't slow it down if we wanted to even. That's right. That's right. And uh, the one thing I will say about that in terms of the doomers, 
I'm glad there are a lot of people worried about it uh, because half of the solution is understanding the problem and being very straightforward about it. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I was very happy to learn about hallucinations and confabulations and, you know, <laughs> all, of the, all of the things that could go wrong. And then also to even, you know, someone um, during one of our brainstorms raised the uh, idea that, wait a minute, wait a minute, could these confabulations be the same as what human beings go through when they dream? Could this actually, could this be channeled into something very interesting? Let's not denigrate it. Let's think about it. Let's maybe harness it, you know? I, I, I love that. You know, one fun thing I've done, um, I've always wanted to do this, you know, uh, the, the Abundance Summit is part of Singularity University. And Ray Kurzweil and I started that, God, uh, 14, 15 years ago. And I always dreamt about having AI faculty. And so for this this year, for the first time, we've got uh, a number of AI faculty um, uh, and AI robot faculty. Amica will be teaching a session on uh, humanoid robotics with me, and then we have uh, we have uh, we have Raybot Ray Kurzweil as be there physically, but also as a an avatar, and it's going to truly reinvent the entire educational ecosystem in a massive fashion. Oh, absolutely personalized tutors. Absolutely. Can While we're on education, and I wanted to say this earlier, but um, one of the reasons we moved to St. Petersburg is because of this innovative spirit. After, uh, what, after two years of being here, ARC's research, as you say, it's not being taught in the schools, ARC's research has been made age appropriate for sixth graders so that ARC's research is the science curriculum for all of sixth grade throughout Pinellas County and soon to be all of middle school. That's awesome. It's awesome. That, it's that is, awesome. That is, because at the end of the day, this is not only what our kids are going to inherit, but what they're going to have to lead. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. One foot in the new world. Okay. Excite them about it, you know? And, and especially in the lower socioeconomic, uh, you know, demographic, tell them, this is the great leveler. This, this is the great leveler. Catch this wave and your life and your family's life uh, will be delightful. You know, I think that is a, such an important point. One of the things I talk about a lot is the, what I call the six Ds of exponential, that when you digitize something, you're dematerialized, demonetize, and democratize it. It's deceptive in the beginning and disruptive in the end. And Google, for example, isn't a little bit better for Larry Page's kids compared to the poorest kids. It's identical. It is complete leveler. And AI is the same. And in fact, there was a study done, I think it was out of Microsoft, that looked at the impact it had on high-end workers and low-end workers. And it actually brought up the low-end higher than it brought up the high end. So it is a leveling force. So that was a, a Bain consulting study. It was a study of Bain consultants. And we put this in our big ideas this year. Uh, the improvement of the high-performing consultants after, I think this was GPT-3, chat GPT, uh, was, was 17%. The improvement of the lower-performing consultants was 43%. Think about that. 
It's crazy. I, pro- I, I probably got it from one of your tweets. I, I love I love the uh, social <laughs> media that uh, you and your you and your team put out. So let's let's dive. I want to dive into AI. I want to dive into autonomous cars, robo taxis, flying cars. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about biotech and lo- my my personal favorite subject, uh, which is longevity. Um, which I think you know I think the two biggest financial markets on the planet are going to be AI and longevity because I still. When I'm in a crowd and I say, how many of you would, how much of your wealth would you pay for an extra 20 healthy years? You know, it's a it's, lot. It's a lot. It's, it's most of a person's wealth uh, at the end of the day, if they're being honest with themselves. So it's a massive market. We can talk about that. There should be some ETFs around the longevity side too. Um, AI. So um, uh, what are you most excited about in the AI world right now? There's so much to be excited about. Well, I, I again, it's AI and the convergence with, with everything, everything. Yeah. right? <laughs> and so, in fact, uh, our chief futurist, Brett Winton, uh, wrote the, uh, the convergence part of our uh, big ideas. And uh, you can talk about excitement if, from a number of angles. Um, so in terms of how our lives are going to change, I think the biggest from a revenue impact for you know investors to think about is autonomous mobility and uh, and what it's going to do to transportation. Uh, it's interesting. Um, we just had a uh, a presentation. They're going to redo uh, St. Petersburg around the new the new. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays baseball team, and it's just going to transform it. And when I mentioned to uh, the, that organization that, uh, do you know, because they were focused a lot, a lot on parking, I said, did you know that for every car on the road in the United States today, there are five parking spaces, but the world's going to change. And we will only need one of those parking spots per car. So, you know, 20% of the parking spaces is all we'll need. That should, so we think that autonomous uh, taxi platforms are an eight to $10 trillion revenue opportunity by 2030. Now, a lot of people dismiss us out of hand now because Elon has been predicting this for the, as, as this year for the last four or five years. And, now that in this last quarterly report, he said, I, I know that I've been doing this and I know I've been wrong, so I'm not going to give you a time. That probably means we're really close now. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just I, how I, human I, psychology is. I do. You and I both did a Twitter spaces with Elon in the last few months. Um, and uh, he's you know he's been a, a friend for 24 years. Uh, he, I would never bet against him uh, and not even, I, I remember... You know, in the reusability space, uh, I was, ha- you know, I met him before he started SpaceX because we were both were space cadets, and he, we were having dinner, and he was sketching out for me when the Falcon Nine was first launching, how he wanted to make the Falcon Nine first stage reusable and resell it for the same price or maybe higher because it was a proven first stage, and I was like, that's incredibly brilliant, and of course, that's happened in spades, and uh, now Starship is about to occur. Uh, and of course, you know, our cars are idle 
what, 95%, 97% of the time? Yes, yes. I want to push that big button on my, I have a Model X and a Model S and go out, make me money, right? Yeah, that, that's, uh, we, I really think it, uh, we really think it's going to happen and uh, that, that, that it's an enormous opportunity. It will, uh, it will lower the cost of transportation dramatically. And so therefore we will get more of it. So you know, I know that Mary Barra at GM says zero congestion. That's just not true. We will get more congestion. Uh, it's just we will then take to the skies. Uh, and, and that's what started our air taxi work. So mobility for uh, all kinds of things, delivery of food, uh, you know, people and so forth, um, moving to the skies. Yeah. my The example I give is I want you to imagine, I mean, we will get rid of our cars or if you're a two or three family car uh family you know in two or three cars in your family you'll get you know rid of a couple and leave one i imagine you're at breakfast you're you're getting up from breakfast with your kids you're walking towards the front door your ai knows your calendar knows your schedule is watching you walk towards the front door it's it knows that you didn't sleep much the night before and it has it has it pulls up in in front of your house is an autonomous Tesla or Uber or whatever it may be with a lie down bed in the back, right? Taking you where you need to go. You never, it will be seamless and you'll never have to ask. It'll be, the, the term I use is automagical, right? And there will be lots of different form factors, as you say, some for sleeping, some for entertainment, some for office, uh, study work, you know. And my, my, my numbers are are that an electric autonomous car will be four times cheaper than car ownership. I'm not sure if you go further than that. Yeah, we have it um, really being a third of a uh, uh, person, including everything. And, and, and you'll see that in our big ideas and in our, our study as well, um, because insurance, depreciation, maintenance, all of that. Uh, so we've got it at roughly a third, yes. But it's probably 4x if you include productivity time. Um, that's a good point. That That's a good point. Um, I was going to say something else, just lost it, but yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say the thing that's interesting is that the poorest people on the planet will be chauffeured around most yes. efficiently, Isn't right? That it's, it's, a leveling, it's a leveling of the playing field. It, it is, is a, it is. Yeah. yeah, so when people talk a denigrate technology as creating the great divide. I just ask them, uh, you know, okay, do you think the cell phone bringing the world together hurt hurt people at the lower? No, it helped them, helped them enormously. You know, I remember when, when I lived in Ireland, which I did as a child, uh, I remember how important us, you know, learning about the rest of the world was there weren't any TVs in the households when I lived there. That was a long time ago. And it was a very rural, rural part of Ireland. And, uh, and so when one person got a TV and got to see how the rest of the world lived, uh, transformed their lives. And the same thing happened with cell phones and smartphones, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and now the fact that you can make a video call for effectively for free if you're on Wi-Fi just continues to blow my mind. I know. Um, you know, uh, I love earlier this year, uh, and we could talk about Tesla versus uh, versus GM or other or Waymo. You know, earlier this year when Tesla replaced three hundred thousand lines of C plus plus code, 
with 3,000 lines of, uh, of basically a large language model. Um, uh, that was amazing. And, uh, you know, and the, I love using self-driving on my, on my Tesla. It, you know, it scares me on occasion, but it works really well 98% of the time. Yeah. We've done some great statistics around this. You know, I, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked when I go to con conferences now. And if they're, if they're on the conservative side of things, I'm seeing this anti-EV uh, vehicle, but you present you present anyone with these facts, and you understand why this is going to take off. So this is a measure of safety. Uh, uh, how many miles between accidents for the average car on the road? Mm, um, don't don't do know. Uh, now this is on surface street driving, not highway. Okay, so okay. surface street the hardest. 190,000 miles on average. Okay. A, That's okay. Good. Yep. In a Tesla without FSD, <laughs> that number is roughly 600,000 miles. In a Tesla with FSD, uh, uh, it is 3.2 million miles. Wow. 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 So. Yeah, again, any you know, this is how Volvo made its brand and its name was sure. safety. Sure. So yeah. Yeah, no, I'm um I'm I'm thrilled by it. And then as you said, in addition to our uh our electric autonomous cars, the other thing that convergence is enabling, of course, what you know, an autonomous Volvo autonomous Tesla is a convergence play. You know, I, I um I think about the convergence play on EV tolls, which I hate that term, electric vertical takeoff for landing. I'm going to call them flying cars. Yes. Um, <laughs> air taxis. Uh, air air taxis. taxis. Okay. Um, that's extraordinary and coming soon. And the price point, you know, I, I was speaking to the CEO of Archer, and their goal is the price point for a pilot and four paying passengers is the same as taking a, you know, uh, uh, an Uber drive, um, that will be amazing. I think, and it's going to be here sooner than uh, I think people imagine. Of course, we have to get the regulators in gear here. That's the that's going to be the gating factor because I think we're almost there, Peter. In terms of, I mean, we did the study on uh, getting from uh, Manhattan to JFK uh, for roughly the same, uh, yeah, for, for roughly the same. Uh, cost as a taxi, um, I think we're almost there now. I mean, technically we're almost there now. Of course, it has to scale to, to, to make sense. You won't, you won't go straight down to the taxi rate right away because of the massive amount of convenience. And, and you know, these companies do have to earn a rate of return for all of the investment that they've put in. But I think we're there now. They're just uh, that we just need to scale it. And and of course, what's happening is we're seeing a regulatory arbitrage where companies are going to Saudi or Dubai or China or India because the regulators are more supportive, which is fine. Um, but you know, the old adage for the FAA is we're not happy until you're not happy. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. We saw when we first started studying drones uh, in 2014, when um, when I founded Arc, uh, I think Amazon was on its ninth generation drone, 
And at that time, this is 2014, the, the FAA would not let Amazon fly its drones outside on its own property. It had to be inside. And so they went to Hong Kong, uh, India, as you say, UK, I think they went, and Australia. I mean, it's, uh, and of course, the same thing has happened with crypto, you know, broadly. Uh, you know, a lot of talent has left this country, and and a lot of the asset managers in Europe don't even want American customers because of our regulators. Yeah, I, I see. I see that. And when I'm when I'm coaching entrepreneurs, um, you know, I'm like, please take your vision beyond the U.S. borderline. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was uh, Kai Fu Lee. I'm sure you know Kai Fu out of S Innovations in, in, in China, and I used to take a group of. American in investors there to Shenzhen and Shanghai and, and Beijing to go meet the Chinese companies and entrepreneurs. And I remember uh, two distinct things. Number one was the work-life balance was, their motto was 996, which I'm sure you've yes. heard, right? And 9 a.m. Yes. to 9 p.m., six days a week. The second thing was a Chinese entrepreneur looks at the one point something billion Chinese market and the 300 million US market, while the US entrepreneurs are basically just looking at the US market. And it's a big world out there um, with, por with porous borders. And sometimes regulations allow you to start uh, faster elsewhere. And then, you know, in, especially in the biotech world in particular, because we humans are all the same uh, globally. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. I'd love to get your thoughts, Peter, on uh, China. Uh, China and GPUs. Do you think that the the sanctions that the U.S. has placed on China will embolden them uh, to to become uh, much more creative and focused on getting their own GPUs? Much like in the '80s, when we banned cars, Japanese cars, from the U.S. or certain kinds of cars or put enormous tariffs on it, it encouraged Japan to become the highest quality, because at the time they were junk, uh, the highest quality, uh, most innovative uh, auto companies in the world. I have no question at all. For a multitude of reasons, the, the Chinese will invest. And, and you know, I was talking to some of my friends who run large language model, fun, you know, focused AI companies today, and their belief is that uh, China's LLMs are at or above the GPT-4 level already and will be. And you know, one of the things that the Chinese companies have as advantages are a government that puts their finger on the scale and, oh, and, absolutely. Creates, and creates regulatory reforms to support them and causes you know, uh, capital to flow in. So there are very few companies uh, uh, restrictions. And despite that, America does incredibly well. Um, but uh, that is a, uh, we, China is, is, is going to uh, play big in this, in the, in the chip world and in the AI world, for sure. I think, uh, I, th I think their property issues and just the massive over leveraging that took place over the 20 years after they entered the WTO, just buy the dip, buy the dip, leverage up, leverage up, has come back to haunt them and that they need to change the subject. So what I'm hoping is that it's not Taiwan 
but that it is actually their own prowess in AI. Everybody, I want to take a short break from our episode to talk about a company that's very important to me and could actually save your life or the life of someone that you love. The company is called Fountain Life. And it's a company I started years ago with Tony Robbins and a group of very talented physicians. You know, most of us don't actually know what's going on inside our body. We're all optimists. Until that day when you have a pain in your side, you go to the physician in the emergency room and they say, listen, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have this stage three or four going on. And, you know, it didn't start that morning. It probably was a problem that's been going on for some time. But because we never look, we don't find out. So what we built at Fountain Life was the world's most advanced diagnostic centers. We have four across the U.S. today and we're building 20 around the world. These centers give you a full body MRI, a brain, a brain vasculature, an AI-enabled coronary CT looking for soft plaque, a DEXA scan, a Grail blood cancer test, a full executive blood workup. It's the most advanced workup you'll ever receive. 150 gigabytes of data that then go to our AIs and our physicians to find any disease at the very beginning when it's solvable. You're going to find out eventually. Might as well find out when you can take action. Fountain Life also has an entire side of the therapeutics. We look around the world for the most advanced therapeutics that can add 10, 20 healthy years to your life. And we provide them to you at our centers. So if this is of interest to you, please go and check it out. Go to fountainlife.com backslash Peter. When Tony and I wrote our New York Times bestseller, Life Force, we had 30,000 people reached out to us for Fountain Life memberships. If you go to fountainlife.com backslash Peter, we'll put you to the top of the list. Really, it's something that is, um, for me, one of the most important things I offer my entire family, the CEOs of my companies, my friends. It's a chance to really add decades onto our healthy lifespans. Go to fountainlife.com backslash Peter. It's one of the most important things I can offer to you as one of my listeners. All right, let's go back to our episode. You know, speaking of AI, let's go to the conversation around AGI and and digital super intelligence. You know, the first thing I'll say is we passed the Turing test without anyone noticing <laughs> a long a long time ago, right? So, like, you know, hey, everybody, did you notice we passed the Turing test a thousand times over in the last couple of years, or the last year at least? Uh, AGI, um, you uh, put out a beautiful curve that looks at people's predictions of when we're going to have human level intelligence, right? In 1999, Ray Kurzweil famously predicted 2029, pretty ballsy, 30 years yes, out yes. to predict a single year and, and not they thought he was crazy. His prediction. Thought he was crazy, impossible. Yeah. It's 100 years out, it's 50 years out. And so, what did that curve you put out say? So it said, um, in as recently as 2019, so that's 30 years after, was it, so he, he put it out in 99, did in, you say it was? In, yeah, 1999, yes. yeah. Tw yeah, so, in, in, okay, 20 years later, uh, in 2019, futurists, these aren't just normal, you know, forecasters of technology, but actual futurists, it's a a survey, uh, Brett Winton, our chief futurist. And, and, uh, AI, and AI focused futurists as well. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So 2019, uh, those futurists 
said uh, AGI was 80 years away. Today, today, eight years away. So Ray, and if they continue to make the same forecasting error, it could be three to four years away. And there you go. It could, I mean, Ray may have hit it on the nailed mark. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah nailed it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll, 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 uh, we'll celebrate him in, in 2029. You know, uh, Elon's predictions have been between 2025 and 2028. And he said, basically, listen, Ray got it right. And of course, the question becomes, all right, and so what? Uh, we have human level AI, because I still think of much of the AI systems that I'm using right now in their focused area are much better than humans. It's just we don't have a generalized uh, AI. Uh, but what happens next, of course, is where we have a singularity. You know, we talk about a singularity is a is a horizon beyond which you can't predict what's going to happen next. And there's going to be an AI singularity when AIs are self-programming themselves. Um, and when we get to digital super intelligence, you know, because fine, if we have human level AI in 2029, by 2030, you know, it's 2x, 4x, 10x, because the doubling time in the AI world in terms of algorithms, capital, compute has been less than Moore's law. It's been faster than Moore's law. Yes. Every, uh, yeah, every three to four months, forget about two, 18 months to two years. It's, uh, it's unbelievable because AI training costs are dropping 75% per year. AI inference costs, uh, according to our estimates and research, are dropping 85, uh, 90% uh, per year. It's, and the amount, of, capi- it's amount of capital going in, the amount of capital going in now, what do you predict that at? Ooh, number, uh, no, you mean the amount of capital? Uh, Being invested into, into AI-related compute companies and so forth. I mean, Last year, the prediction, I think, was like about 150 to 180 billion went in. And I just see this as a, as a everybody's pouring capital in. Yes. And so here is the question there that we're getting all the time. Is this, is this a bubble? And the way we are answering it is, no, this is not a bubble. This is, there's something uh, was electricity going Was on. electricity a bubble? Exactly, right. exactly. Now, is there too much capital chasing, you know, chasing the same thing? Um, that could be, I can tell you, you know, we've had in, in, uh, and you know the headlines, I'm, I'm not saying anything that, that you don't know, but uh, we have been pulling away from NVIDIA, mostly because we see how well understood that story is, and it is. Um, and and all praise to Jensen Huang and his incredible team. Uh, you know they have done so much of the heavy lifting uh, uh, up. You know as we've evolved to this uh, level. Now, however, it is we're the companies in our portfolio that are hugely undervalued and not recognized for uh, what AI is going to enable are those with deep domain expertise, and especially in one of your favorite areas, Peter, um, the multiomic space. So deep domain expertise, uh, AI expertise, take this seriously. This is going to determine winners and losers. 
good distribution, whether alone or with partners. And then finally, most important, harnessing that proprietary data, data that a company has that nobody else has. So that's where we're spending a lot of our time. I tell my entrepreneurs, you've got to wrap your arms around your data. What data do you want to collect? What data do you have? What data are you going to gather? For sure. So when I'm looking at ARC for investments in AI, is it the innovation fund? Is it the autonomous tech fund and robotics fund? Which ETF do you have most of your AI assets in? Well, um, when we think AI, ARKW is uh, probably the most focused, but AI, as I mentioned before, is going to permeate every sector, every industry, and should impact every company. And so our flagship strategy has the multiomics in it as well. And we think that there will be some of the most profound applications of AI in the in the uh, multiomic space, which is incredibly out of favor. I know, you know, when when um, when oh, it's uh, been a bloodbath. It's been a bloodbath. Uh, yes, in the when the biotech stocks. Yeah, yeah, and when the uh, critics, shall I say, uh, see a sale of uh, a sale of uh, Nvidia and the purchase of Recursion which by the way, NVIDIA's venture firm owns uh, and is very picky about what it owns too, especially in the life sciences space, uh, they cr- go crazy. They don't understand. They don't understand that recursion is from a drug discovery point of view, uh, getting superior results because of AI and because of NVIDIA. Yeah. You know, you know my friend, uh, uh, who runs in Silicon Medicine, which is another AI-driven drug discovery company. He was creating generative uh, 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 pre-trained transformers around molecule designs before it was a, a term. And it's amazing because all of a sudden drug discovery costs uh, are, dro- are collapsing. And what people don't realize is AI is the first act. Quantum is coming next. And it's going to, you know, if people, yeah, I don't, I don't know how people are going to deal with uh, the disruption, the speed of disruption. Uh, we're 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 about to announce a, a, an X Prize with Google in the quantum space, uh, by the way. So stay tuned for that. And um, I have Hartmut Nevin, who's the head of, of Google's quantum, on stage with me this month, and he was telling me that they're about to make some huge announcement in the quantum space. Uh, as it relates to classical computing. And so I'm super excited. When quantum starts to become um, part of the infrastructure of our day-to-day lives, and we don't realize it, but things are just instant and magical, um, it's coming. And it, and I think it's not, you know, it's it's in the near term. It's within everybody's investment horizon and job horizon and leadership horizon, education horizon. And no one is getting us ready for it. Yeah. You know, uh, just to jump back to the last point, because I think something, you know, uh, as we say, new discoveries and just uh, kind of unlocking the, the code to life, death and death and disease, that that is what's going on now. And this this convergence between multiomic sequencing and artificial intelligence. But one of the more practical things that I, I think astonish uh, uh people who are in in the research business, shall I say, 
is that the number, if we're right, the 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 number of trial failures, and you know, ninety percent plus of trials fade, ninety five percent of trials uh, they fail. That's going to drop by, we think, seventy five percent, and that's going to be a huge unlock of resources. Very practical, huge unlock of resources. Um, and what, that we and don't one of the reasons is understand. you're going to select who's in your trial more accurately. Yeah, you know, one of the things people don't one of the things people don't realize when you're taking a drug that's been approved for a disease by the FDA, the percentage of people who have that disease for which the drug actually works is like under twenty percent. Yes, it's, yes, it's what's, crazy. What, what's very interesting again, this is in big ideas, is if you look at the drugs that the FDA has approved for the proteome. Now, today, it is only, uh, they target only 4% of the proteome. We think uh, with, with uh, yeah, targeted protein degradators and uh, uh, degraders and uh, multiomic sequencing, that is going to shoot up over the years. This is a slow moving because of regulatory, but uh, to 56, 58%. Plus percent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I'll, I'm going to get to my my favorite pet subject on human health span and longevity. We just launched uh, the largest X Prize ever, $111 million of capital for the team that could reverse uh, loss of function in muscle, immune, and cognition by 20 years or more. All right. So we have 300 teams. Hopefully, we'll get to 1,000 teams competing for this X Prize. It's funded out of Saudi. Uh, and out of the U.S., um, but what folks don't realize is, you know, we've all accepted death at like 80, 90 years old. It's like just the way it is. And you know, there are species on this planet, bowhead whales that live to 200 years, and Greenland sharks that live to 500 years have have pups at 200 years. And the question is, why can they, and why can't we? And when I was in medical school years ago. For me, the realization was it's either a hardware problem or a software problem. And we're going to be able to eventually solve it. I think this is the decade that we have the tools to understand why we age, how to slow it, how to stop it, how to reverse it. And you want to talk about impact on society? Uh -huh. Imagine if at 70, 80, 90, you had the energy when you had at 30 or 40, right? There was a study at a Harvard, David Sinclair did that said, adding just one year of health to the U.S. population is worth $38 trillion. I have to track those numbers down. I mean, if you Google it, that's insane. Yeah. Um, that's interesting that that you say that. I had, uh, when you were mentioning the whales, I was thinking, okay, cold baths, that's uh, definitely one of the reasons, right? I think uh, it but has to do with uh, their, their particular... Uh, uh, genes that allow them to detect and, and, and slay cancers. I mean, but we've now got the tools to go and and reprogram ourselves, right? The tools around CRISPR and around gene editing, absolutely, and gene therapies. absolutely. And what's so interesting in the in in the traditional financial world, um, we own all of the CRISPR, pretty much all of the major CRISPR uh, stocks, and yet, uh, you know, and we get questions like, "Why do you own those? Uh, they're they they." 
They, there's no EBITDA there because this is so new, just approved by the FDA for beta-thalassemia and, and sickle cell disease, that's CRISPR therapeutics and, and, uh, and Vertex. Um, this is what I'm talking about. We talked about it at the beginning of, um, of this spaces and, and podcast. It is investors in the traditional financial world not willing to invest in the future. Isn't that something? What is investing? In fact, when I started ARC and I was trying to explain to someone not in the financial business why I needed to start ARC, uh, I, I, he ended up replaying it back to me and he said, oh, you mean the future of investing is investing in the future? And I said, yes, Bingo, because these benchmarks are all about the past, right? Yeah, and, and by the way, I, I think the old economic systems and theories and practices have all broken. I think they've all, all. if I had more time, I'd write an economics book because it, the old economics don't bear witness to what's going on today. Well, I think that there are many economic theories. I think the right one is the Austrian school and... Uh, you know that people who 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 understand the world from that angle are making sense of all of this but i agree that and i i also agree that regulation and government policy is typically in the way typically in the way you know I, I, the the theme i love is the best way to predict the future is create it yourself and one of the things that you're doing through your investing i'm doing through my investing or the companies i'm starting is let's make this happen let's not moan about it. Let's not worry about it. Let's actually go and solve. The, the truth will win out. And um, uh, you know, I believe there is no problem we cannot solve. And the best way to become a billionaire is help a billion people. And those convergent you know, principles uplift humanity in a beautiful way. And I think, as, as you say, uh, as, as far as human longevity, just use first principles thinking. Just because something has been done one way for a hundred years, think automobile production, um, doesn't mean that's the way it should be in the future. That's what Elon has done and has you know helped help many people understand, wait a minute, can I think about this in a different way? Um, and and that's good. Just challenging conventional wisdom. Again, the more that happens, the more what you are saying is is going to prove to be correct. Truth will win out. Yes, I mean, I, there's so many subjects to go on. How do you how do you make short term trades on these on these waves of exponentials? Um, uh, what's your thesis there? Yeah, we get all kinds of questions on this, as you might imagine, especially anytime we uh, sell Tesla or uh, Nvidia. So. Um, we, in, in high conviction names that are still, uh, we believe, going to deliver us our minimum hurdle rate of return, which is 15% at a compound annual rate over five years. So on average per year, 15%. Um, like a Tesla in spades, uh, I mean, so much more than that if we're right. But we will, we will when it when it goes through a massive move to the upside. Last year, at one point, it was up 150 percent, and we started taking profits because guess what? 
some of these multi-omics names were getting crushed. And we needed, you know, when you have only 100% to work with, you need to trade around ideas. So take some of those profits from something that's up 150% and buy something that is down 15% in the same year, you know, sell high, buy low, kind of a very basic investment tenant. Now, does that mean it, it Tesla leaves our top five? No. In, in fact, it's still number two. Uh, Coinbase in our flagship fund is number one uh, because of the massive move that it has had. And you'll see us taking profits there as well. Um, so yeah, I want to move that, to Bitcoin in a second, yeah, but I want to ask you yeah. another question. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I just have to imagine that Elon will become the first trillionaire. I have no way of, of not imagining that. I, I think he will. And uh, we have to get the court system out of determining uh, CEO pay shareholders. We were, we were, we were among the 73% of shareholders who voted uh, for that pay package, just delighted with it, saying, wow, if he really will not take a salary, will not take a bonus until he, you know, doubles, at least double, minimum, doubles the share price, and then takes the uh, uh, the stock up and revenue up and EBITDA up by as much as these 12 tranches of, if he does that, the stock is going to go crazy, and it did. It went up thirteen fold, and the and they're if using only, some. If only he has performed over the last decade or so. Oh my gosh, <laughs> uh, it, you know, uh, th think about that. That 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 is. They were using some a uh, very uh, you know esoteric legal fairness clause, and it was like, are you kidding me? That was so fair to shareholders, taking no pay, uh, everything in options. All on the come, all on performance. Uh, you know, if if more CEOs were like that, we'd have a a much stronger economy, much better performing companies. Yeah, uh, without question. Hey everyone, I want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about a health product that I love and that I use every day. In fact, I use it twice a day. It seeds DSO one daily symbiotic. Hopefully by now you understand that your microbiome and your gut health are one of the most important modifiable parts of your health. You know, your gut microbiome is connected to everything, your brain health, your cardiac health, your metabolic health. So the question is, what are you doing to optimize your gut? Let me take a moment to tell you about what I'm doing. Every day I take two capsules of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's a two-in-one probiotic and prebiotic formulation that supports digestive health, gut health, skin health, heart health, and more. It contains 24 clinically and scientifically proven probiotic strains that are delivered in a patented capsule that actually protects the contents from your stomach acid and ensures that 100% of it is survivable, reaching your colon. Now, if you wanna try Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic for yourself, you can get 25% off your first month supply by using the code PETER25 at checkout. Just go to seed.com slash moonshots and enter the code PETER25 at checkout. That's seed.com slash moonshots and use the code PETER25 to get your 25% off the first month of Seed's Daily Symbiotic. Trust me, your gut will thank you. All right, let's go back to the episode.
Bitcoin, congrats on your ETF. It's done very well. You're number three now. Number three. You know, this was David against Goliath. And, you know, uh, so this is a, 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 a very nice win for us. Now, we're not finished. And in fact, in our business, what's interesting is the wirehouses, which dominate our customers. So Morgan Stanley, all the advisors at these wirehouses, Morgan Stanley, UBS, Merrill Lynch at B of A, Wells Fargo, not one of them has approved Bitcoin on its platform. That hasn't even happened yet. And those are our primary clients. When that happens, wait yep. until you see. Explosion. Yes. Yeah. I used to, uh, years and years ago, um, I went on CNBC uh, uh, saying I sold all my gold and I, bit, I bought Bitcoin. And I said, it's, you know, it follows the six D's roadmap. It's digitized, dematerialized, demonetized, and democratized. And in all of these things, you have slow, deceptive growth, and it, then it becomes disruptive. And we're just at, I mean, it's been a slow disruption, but institutional, in the institutions coming on, um, and then governments following, um, I mean, the, the the ship has sailed. Yes, it has. And this, there, there, this is not just a technology. Um, it's a new asset class, right? And beyond that, it's a global monetary system. You know, it is the first global, uh, private, meaning no government oversight, digital and decentralized rules-based. That's the most important word here. Rules-based monetary system in history. It's a big idea. Yeah, it it is. I'm going to have Mike Saylor on my on my stage, uh, the same place that you spoke last time, and we're going to spend a couple of hours talking about this. But not just Bitcoin as a store of value, but Bitcoin-related applications. Right? Where's Lightning Network going? Uh, this is, you know, Bitcoin is. And I've heard you say this: the the financial side of the internet that did not exist in the '90s. And it's also the mechanism that AI is going to be using uh, to Im to implement its uh, its will or your will through it on the world. Yes, uh, what's we we did um, something called Bitcoin Brainstorm. We do a Bitcoin uh, uh, Brainstorm monthly, and one of them was the convergence between uh, Bitcoin and AI. And we had uh, you'll probably know of his his uh, developer name roast beef uh, from the lightning from the lightning network on and he was talking about how in Africa already this convergence is redefining division of labor uh, I mean the gig economy we understand here in the United States put that on steroids in terms of micro micro gig economy in the emerging markets and you have a, a, a whole a whole new kind of economy. So yes, very exciting. Yeah, um, we can see the the hash rate exploding onto the scene, having coming. And um, you know, I, I I hate to ask predictions again, but I think uh, I remember your sort of bear case meeting case and best case. Give us some of those numbers as you see them. Yes. Well, uh, we have all kinds of uh, metrics, but w w when I was uh, at uh, Abundance, uh, 
the uh, the forecast was our bull case was $1.5 million in five years. So that would have been 2027. We still have time. And, uh, and we still think that's going to be right. Um, if you just look at the institutional push into Bitcoin, this new asset class, they have to consider it as fiduciaries. When you use that co those code words, new asset class, what it means, the correlation of these returns are very low compared to those of other assets. Especially so, as, as bonds and stocks are becoming more correlated, you need something uncorrelated. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And so they have to consider it. Now, what are we saying? There are 19.6 million Bitcoin out there right now, and the highest it will ever go is 21 million. Uh, well, okay, there's real scarcity value. And what what is going to happen? The price increase for every institutional dollar pushing in now is going to be much higher than it was last year, two years ago. It's, you know, we're going to get uh, into, if these institutions really want to own it, what I found fascinating recently, just learned it this morning is, uh, typically when you go through a, a price move, a Bitcoin price move to the upside, you usually see long-term holders, which is a metric we monitor. It's an on-chain analytics metric. Um, and it means people who have not moved or wallets that have not moved their Bitcoin in 155 days or more. <laughs> yes. Well, normally when you go through a price move to the upside, a very nice one like we've seen in the last year, that tends to start moving down. And it did that, true to form, but it has reversed in recent days because what we learned is uh, uh, GBTC sold some of its Bitcoin. So that was, those wallets hadn't been changed in a long time, right? Now that is done, at least for the time being. Now that is done and um, it's going back up again as the price goes up. That's highly unusual. And I think it is because um, the long-term holder is saying, why would I sell now when I know all these institutions, which own nothing, own nothing in this realm, in this new asset class, they have to consider it because it is a new asset class. I have friends of mine who are just setting up their uh, there are bitcoins they can borrow against it. No one wants to sell. Everyone is convinced it's an uptick. And so I want to hit you a couple of questions here. Uh, a friend of mine who you know, Bill Barheit, who's the uh, CEO of Abra, right? Is when when the last man's last man standing. He's done an amazing amazing job. Um, what's your what do you think of as the the future of DeFi and the future of banking with regard to this? Yes, and first let me tell you a little story about Bill. Um, in 2017, when Bitcoin was below $1,000, um, and there was a war going on between the the Bitcoin maximalists and you know those uh, focused on the Ethereum network, um, Chris Bernisky, um, you may know him, he was our first uh, uh, crypto analyst and went off to start placeholder. Um, he decided, you know what? We should have a meetup at our office between the Bitcoin and Ethereum supporters. 
and we'll we'll provide Religion. rules of the yeah <laughs> we'll provide rules of the road and bill was the grown up in the room set the tone from you know the ethereum uh, side and we had a, a, a such a productive talk that I went out and bought ether right away we own you know I already owned a lot of bitcoin um, because it was so convincing that there is a place for both. And Bill yes, is a we, brilliant adult in this space. Yes, for sure. Yes, yes. And so, so uh, yes, we're um, very excited about the Ethereum network and Solana. And so they all play different roles. And what I love is there's kind of a little competition. Uh, I think competition is always good. Uh, to keep the other networks honest. And uh, so, yes, we think that um, decentralized finance, and we do call it now the internet financial system, which is really a crisp like point that. Yes. I, I, yes. I like that because it's it really, uh, it really talks about the functionality more than this, this ethereal idea. It's, it, it, it is the financial backbone and it's the, it's really the dematerialized and democratized access to taking action in the world. Absolutely. Um, and taking the middlemen out of yes. everything. You know, when get the we sand did, out of the gears. Yeah. When we did our digital wallet work, um, you know, we were we're saying, okay, let's try to figure out how much it how many steps it takes for a merchant or for a consumer to pay a merchant. And that was nine steps, including the two of them. Uh, and that's and and you know there are many other middlemen, but these were the most direct steps, and that is a one well a two to four percent tax on every purchase in the world if you're using uh, intermediaries, credit cards, and so forth. So uh, just think about that. Cutting you know that tax rate dramatically is is going to increase access. Dramatically, I want to hit on uh, another fun subject. the uh, The nine year old inside of me is like, "The robots are coming! The robots are coming!" <laughs> you know, uh, yes, so they are humanoid, humanoid robots. Tesla bot. A friend of mine is one of the uh, senior uh, leaders at Tesla, and just showing me what's going on there is amazing, right? Tesla bot two, um, uh, Optimus uh, second generation, and then we've got. Uh, uh, we've got Amica, we've got Figure, and my count, 30 other humanoid robots under development. Yes, and we th we think this, is, uh, first of all, if you look at the um, rights law and apply it to industrial robots, um, uh, what, what we see is uh, based on the 50% cost decline for every cumulative doubling in the number of robots out there, uh, we believe that during the next six to seven years, that space is going to grow the fastest, even faster than AI. Now, this is from a market valuation point of view. I'm talking about how it's valued in the marketplace. Uh, we think by more than 80% uh, per year at a compound annual rate, whereas we think all of disruptive innovation will be growing 40% uh, from roughly $20 trillion now in, in the public and private market and figure AI, we, uh, we have taken a position in our venture fund there. Uh, so from 20 trillion to 220 trillion by the year 2030. So that's a 40% compound annual rate of growth. But, 
but ro generalize, uh, generalizable robotics is going to grow the fastest, we believe. Uh, uh, in incredible. And I, you know, my venture fund, Bold Capital, we took a position in, in figure as well. And of course, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, Tesla fan. Um, yes. Yes, of uh, course we are uh, too. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's interesting if you look at the you know, Elon's prediction on Optimus at 20,000, let's say he's going to be optimistic as he normally is. And that's good. Optimism helps you. You know, if if, if innovators weren't optimistic, they would never start any of the ventures because you've got to be optimistic. Uh, but let's, let's say that it's not 20,000 for an optimist, let's say, or a figure, let's say it's 50,000. You know, if you're leasing it like you lease a car, you know, 500 bucks a month, you've got labor 24-7 sitting in your closet downstairs working for you. Uh, it's extraordinary. It is. It is. We're pretty excited. And the way we value this this particular space is uh, it's roughly 50-50, home and out of home, about $12 trillion each. So yes, very exciting. It's a, it's a lot. Now, the numbers are interesting for those who haven't sort of seen the conversation um, uh, you know, I've seen uh, Vinod Kosla, who's a friend, uh, you know, talk about, you know, as well as uh, the team at Figure that will hit, you know, billions, perhaps 10 billion by 2040. These are humanoid robots walking amongst us and millions by 2030. What do you think? Uh, what have you, what's your projections? I, we think uh, they are right and that we are hitting the tipping point now. Uh, and, you know, Elon does not do anything unless well. he, yeah, <laughs> no, well, nothing small, we for sure, for sure. But uh, unless, uh, again, on a first principles basis, he can justify it. And so the fact that he's, you know, throwing this weight behind it. And I hope he does get his 25% voting control at Tesla because, you know, as a Tesla shareholder. Yeah. yeah. I want him to see this through. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, what I love is not only convergence in technologies, but convergence within Elon's companies. So we've got, uh, we've got, you know, Tesla and SpaceX working together. And the other thing, uh, and I'm spending some good time at the Abundance Summit on brain-computer interface, an area that we haven't spoken about much, but you know, the ability to connect your neocortex to the cloud and be able to think and Google or take action, increasing intelligence, right? The number one greatest asset a company or a nation has is the intelligence of its employees or its citizens. If you can up that to some degree, that would be extraordinary. So imagine Neuralink and Optimus together. Right, so I'm able to occupy an Optimus robot someplace and drive it around. We've seen movies about this, and it's not that far away. We agree. We agree, uh, especially uh, yeah, as we're combining what you just said with AGI. That how how wrong how wrong the market has been, and how close to reality it might be. You know, it. The point you just made, how wrong the market has been, um, I am I'm flabbergasted. Uh, I, don't know, I, don't know what, I don't know what the right term is, uh, how uh, how confused I am uh, about the the public and the markets not recognizing how impactful these exponential technology driven companies are 
and how, like you said earlier, right, super exponentials are coming as these tsunami-sized convergences are about to transform every aspect of our lives, every company, nation states are going to be transformed. Exactly. Accelerate the exponential growth rates. So I I can tell you why. Um, uh, And I mentioned it briefly, but in in the reasons, but in a word, people are scared. And uh, they are hugging benchmarks because they don't want to go through another tech and telecom bust. They don't want to go through another financial meltdown. People are talking about, you know, uh, another tech, uh, another technology hype cycle here. So these are trigger words for them right now. So here's the irony. Here's the irony. In the late 90s, I was there. In the late 90s, they, this idea of the internet captured the investor's imagination, and they started valuing companies on on number of eyeballs potentially in 10 to 20 years. I'll I'll never never forget when one travel company is worth more than all the airlines put together. There you go. So so too much capital chased too few opportunities too soon, and it ended badly. The technologies weren't ready and they were too expensive. So, but what people, what, what people do not understand is the seeds for everything happening now were sown during the the 20 years that ended in the tech and telecom bubble. They've been germinating for 25, 30 years. We are ready for prime time. And unlike the late 90s, they're they're running away. They're running for the hills. What are the hills? They're benchmarks. It's ridiculous. Old, old school old school uh, safe havens for, for capital, and, and, which and are- And that will end badly too. Yeah, that will yeah. end badly. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, when I'm looking to predict the future, one of the things I think about and look at is what I call user interface moments. Uh, these are moments where complex technology gets a simplified user interface on top of it that then makes the public gives the public access. So when uh, when when uh, when Mosaic came along, right? When Mark Andreessen created Mosaic, he put a user interface on top of ARPANET. And all of a sudden, it exploded, right? Steve Jobs does that with the phone, with the iPhone and the App Store and so forth. ChatGPT created a user fra- interface moment on top of large language models and, and all of a sudden, mass, right? So we're, we're going to be seeing these user interface moments coming on, making all of this very rich, very powerful, complex technology accessible to everybody. And in one sense, AI is the ultimate user interface. Right. Absolutely. There will be, be a future. You know, I keep on in my in my blogs and my books. I talk about Jarvis because I just love Jarvis from Iron Man, and I you know, and it's like, you know, it will be my interface where I don't know how to 3D print or write 3D printing code, and I haven't coded in a number of years, but I I know what I want, and if I can explain to my user interface exactly what I want, it has all the APIs and everything needed to go and do anything I desire. And you know natural language. Yes, I do. I do. There you go. Uh, The challenge is going to be, of course, and we'll have to deal with this, is how do we overcome the the, uh, ill actors, you know, the uh, malevolent actors in society who will want to use this for, uh, for harm. And therein lies, you know, the black hat, black hat, white hat, the use of AI to support humanity 
in uh, in doing good over evil. Yeah, what I you know th- this brings up the open source versus closed. Uh, you know, just in in the spaces with Elon, he was saying, "Open AI, ha! You should call it closed AI." You know, uh, but you know we have, and it's in the again the big ideas. We uh, have a chart in there that shows the rate of Im- performance improvement for closed source models and open source models. Now, if you look at the level, chat, I mean, uh, GPT-4 is just out there. It's, you know, way above the, be- the rest. But if you look at the slope of the line of performance improvements for open source, it is steeper. It's it's improving faster. And I'm wondering, you know, I often say with the, the Bitcoin blockchain, I say, hey, this is a giant neighborhood watch. You've got a lot of people whose livelihoods uh, and wealth uh, are concentrated here and they don't want anything to go wrong. I feel like that should be the case in open source uh, with open source uh, AI as well. Now, Elon in our spaces said he thought closed would win. And I'm thinking, well, maybe, but but could it be that, you know, we, we've seen Llama 2 and can't wait to see Llama 3 is good enough, good enough. And I've talked to many enterprises who say, we just need this to settle down because we have to, quote unquote, hardwire this for compliance and security and all of that. So I just wonder, yeah, I just wonder- I, I'm I'm of the open source, you know, open will win. I really fundamentally believe that over and over again. You know, I'm going to have, uh, you know, we have Hugging Face. Uh, we have uh, Imad Mustak going to be with us uh, from Stability. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that hasn't been calculated into this is we're going to see nation state players partnering with open source players uh, to digitize the data in their nations and create uh, nation-state language models uh, that are respectful of their of their culture and of their uh, you know their history, um, and so we're going to see we'll see you know a hundred plus major players out there. I don't think it's going to all be Microsoft or Google. I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't think people want it to be a uh, Microsoft or Google. Yeah, though you know Google's Google's been an open source player almost every place else. Uh, well, I know a, that's a, what's know. so interesting, I, isn't it? I, it is fascinating, and I, I hope that they do take on the the open source bandwagon. I, I will. I will not go into uh, uh, into the conversation about Gemini right now because I don't want to get us into another no, half hour no. conversation. But. Uh, <laughs> Listen, uh, I want to I want to close out. Um, and you've been so generous with with time. This has been a fun conversation, Kathy. Yeah, I miss it's you. been great. Yeah, um, I miss you too. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, let's talk one second. Uh, you uh, have gotten into the venture business since uh, you were on my stage at Abundance Three Hundred and Sixty. Talk one second about your your venture fund, uh, a moment, and how people can find out more about that. So, democratizing venture. Uh, it's an interval fund, which is, it's regulated just like an ETF or a mutual fund. And for $500, um, and, and we're available on both Titan, which is an Andreessen Horowitz funded app, and on SoFi now, just la- uh, launched there. Um, 
For $500, you can get access to SpaceX and Discord and Epic and Databricks, which bought Mosaics, which we own. So a free free gnome in the in the multi-omic space. So really transformational uh, companies. We're excited about this effort and and we're really grateful how big, how to the- big is the how big is your yes. venture fund? So it started about a year ago and it's grassroots, as I just described. It is approaching, I think it's just about 50 million now. And uh, we know that the wirehouses will look forward to putting it on their platforms when it hits, uh, crosses a threshold, say 70 to 100 million, depending on the wirehouse. So we're excited about that. Yeah. I mean, because most people like, you know, for my venture funds, your minimum investment is a million, two million dollars, uh, you know, well, and so it's- and, and, Yeah, and the so, other thing, yeah. the other thing, Peter, is we're not charging a carry. We are char- charging a 2.75% fee, but no carry. And that is why we can offer it to retail. Go figure. This is an SEC rule. If you don't earn a million, if you don't, oh, I don't know what the thresholds are, but a million dollars and some other dollar for uh, for income, which most of our young uh, young um, uh, investors don't, uh, you can't have a shot at these moonshots. And shots. of course, this is critical for diversification to have some Absolutely. segment of your assets in venture yes. and you make it yes. possible for them. And congratulations yes. on that. Thank um, you. Yeah. And where does one go to learn about the rest of the incredible ecosystem you've created? Oh, thank you. So it's uh, arc-invest.com. You can find Big Ideas 2024 uh, on there. Uh, um, and then... Um, uh, we also have all of our podcasts we do in the know, which is more economics and a little bit of innovation. That's every month. Bitcoin Brainstorm, Bitcoin Monthly. Uh, and we have something called, it's actually very interesting, it's called The Brainstorm. And it's uh, Nick Roos, who's an a- a- APM with me, and Sam Corus, who's a director of research. Uh, basically summarizing our brainstorm from the previous Friday. It comes out the following Tuesday. So definitely uh, stay tuned for that. Nice, nice. And I yeah. would love to have you back on my stage in next year's Abundance Summit, uh, which is a common theme on convergence. And let's talk about sort of you know where things are going. Someone interested in seeing these tsunamis, where do they invest? What is, what's, your, what's your thinking? Um, Anyway, I'm excited for that. Thank you for your time. Uh, likewise. Thank you for Thank your you work. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank my, you for my, your work. Yes, yes. We've got to we got to bring we got to reverse this massive misallocation of capital and yeah, redirect and, it, right? And and also the if I could the negativism out there. We are living Absolutely. during the most extraordinary time ever, right? We are Absolutely. this tech, this technology is uplifting humanity. It's creating increasing abundance. And these are good things. Uh, and it tends I, to, uh, sorry, Peter, it tends yeah. to gain traction during tough times. Nah. So when people are, are negative and not optimistic is when surreptitiously, deceptively, as you say, these technologies start to take hold. And then please God, we're into the roaring 20s again. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Kathy, a pleasure. We're going to end our spaces here. If you'd stay with me on the video. Uh, Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us and uh, see you next time.